It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Man, our boys are believing lies and now a resource to help them know the truth that sets them free. We've got Aaron and Jason Davis with us, husband and wife, and they have teamed up to write Lies Boys Believe, An Epic Quest for the Truth, and the companion A Parent's Guide to Lies Boys Believe. Aaron is a popular speaker, author, and blogger, and she's addressed women of all ages nationwide and is passionately committed to sharing God's truth with everybody. She's the author of many books, including Connected, Beyond Bath Time, and books in the My Name is Aaron series. And Jason, her husband, is excited to be co-authoring his first book, Yay, Jason, with his wife Erin. Jason and Erin live an adventurous life in rural Midwest. Love that. I grew up in small-town Midwest with their four growing boys, and by profession, Jason works as a marketing manager. Good morning, Erin and Jason. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. We're so excited to be here. Yeah. Okay. So it seems like there's maybe an obvious unstated prerequisite for this book. And that would be, you've got some boys. Yeah, we have a lot of boys. (laughs) We have uh, legions of boys, but we actually just have four. Eli, our oldest, is almost 16, unbelievably. We've got a 10-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy, and a 5-year-old boy. So lots of boys at our house. Lots of boys. That's awesome. I feel like this book is so needed right now because, you know, anciently, you know, in, in history, there and even in different cultures, there's like rites of passages that boys go through to become men, right? We don't have that in the culture that we live in today, but it's there's landmines everywhere as you navigate the journey from boyhood to manhood. There's there's pornography, there's the demasculization of men. How do we help our boys navigate this journey? I was leaving it to Jason, but he's still thinking about it. I mean, they, you're you're asking the right question, which is that they do need our help. I think they are adrift. Social science is confirming. Uh, secular uh, science and researchers are going, what is going on with our boys? And the church needs to pay attention. So um, we do it the same way we do any discipleship, which is we get people to First, the gospel, the realization that our boys need Jesus. They don't have what it takes uh, to be the men they were called to be on their own. And then we got to find ways to get them to God's word. And I think it takes creativity. I don't know about the other parents of boys listening, but our boys don't sit in a circle quietly and exegete the minor prophets. So they, we got to find ways to get them God's word in despite of their busyness, their activities, the way their brains are wired, all of that. I love how you take it on in a novel form, in a Mm -hmm. fiction form, Lies Boys Believe and the Epic Quest for Truth. It's a story. And so you have identified 10 core lies that boys can believe. And are are there some lies that are more harmful to boys than others when you've done some research as you've done the research for this? Yeah, I think they build on each other. I mean, boys are not the only ones being deceived. We're all there's a deceiver, and he scripture tells us he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. Um, but there are, I think, some 
tailor-made lies for boys. One being the Bible is boring. As mm-hmm. I just mentioned, the idea that some, maybe some boys think, golly, reading the word of God is so dull or that girls are better than boys in some way. Girls are the good ones. Boys are bad. We say snips and snails and puppy dog tails and all of those things. Um, or that following Jesus and going to church is a girl thing. That's not really for them. Uh, that's one we have to conquer. I think that another one we conquered is I can't control my now, of course, only boys aren't the only ones who deal with self-control challenges. I'm a 40-something mama who deals with my own. But this idea that I can't control my temper, I can't control my appetites, I can't control my, control my cravings, uh, that really can impact a boy's life, especially as he matures and becomes a teenager and then a man. So we tackle all of those. So, Jason, and what we sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Jason, I was just going to ask you, what was... I know there were lies that I believed as a boy growing up, and I can really identify with this book from the perspective of having been a boy. What was maybe one of the lies that you believed as a boy? Well, um, what I found, what what I believe is that um, the heart of these lies is to create separation, uh, to separate us from the Lord, uh, to separate us from our friends and family. And so uh, the the value of masculinity uh, that, you know, uh, boys somehow are inferior to girls is is one that I I think is woven into our culture Hmm. and uh, and one that all of us. Um, uh, you know, I can't speak for all boys slash men, but, uh, we, we have a, we live in a culture that values feminine traits over masculine traits. And so, um, it's easy to believe that, uh, we on the masculine side of that scale are, uh, have less value. Okay, so Jason, I'm going to put this to you. You guys cover 10 lies that boys believe and the truth that sets them free. And lie number three was one that I struggled with as a, as a boy, as a teenager. No one needs to know about my sin. Now, I, so, I, so I hid, but the thing is that I never once saw a youth leader or an adult who was following Jesus say, you know what, I'm struggling you know what? This is hard. You know what? I have this temptation. I thought that being a Christian was being all put together and I was so messed up. There was no way in the world I would have ever, you know, voiced that I was struggling with sin. So talk about that lie. No one needs to know about my sin, Jason. Yeah. So the uh, the power one of the powers of sin and the one of, one of the main ways that Satan uses our sin against us is uh, then once we do sin um, there's this uh, shroud right this uh, isolation because we we naturally distance ourselves from others so that that has a snowball effect right. So we we sin in some way, and then we feel isolated both from God and from other people because we don't feel like we can talk about that and confess it. 
even though the Lord knows it anyway, and everybody knows that everybody sins. Um, but it, it does, it, it creates more and more separation and, uh, and isolation and, and snowballs into more and more sin. Aaron, but I didn't think any Christians sinned when I was a teenager. I didn't mm. think, I didn't think sinning and Christian were synonymous. And so yeah. there's no way I was going to talk about it, Aaron. Yeah, that's one of the things that I wrote about in the parents guide, which was building a no secrets, no shame, no hiding family. Mm. And I think we've gotten this idea that Christian families put the gospel on display by being perfect. And that's not how we put the gospel on display. We put the gospel on display by needing Jesus a whole lot. Mm. And um, so I hope that my kids wouldn't say what you just said. Um, I think they, I hope that they would say, yeah, when our parents mess up, when they sin against us, which we do, when they sin against each other, they own it. And that was, I believe, really the model. Scripture tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. That's to be an ongoing um, way that the Christian life is lived out. So I think you're right, Perry. We don't do anybody any favors by pretending we aren't sinners. And why would we need a Savior if we didn't sin? And I feel like that one is connected to, you know, line number two, which is I'm not good enough. And the truth that combats that being you need Jesus, because Mm -hmm. in the world, and we talked about this just a few minutes ago on the morning show, but in the world, you know, maturity is independence. But in the faith, maturity is greater reliance. It's not that Mm. we don't need Jesus. It's that we we recognize more and more as we mature in faith that that we, we need him more. Yeah. And that, uh, it, it really feeds into lie number four as well. God is always mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um, because one, once we start believing in isolation, our, our, uh, our sin is, is different than anyone else's, then we naturally believe that God is mad at us. It's so important to identify the lies and then to replace them with the truth. And I want to talk about what you label lie number nine in the book, and it is, I'm too young to fill in the blank. Where does that come from? You know, and and when do you, I'm 53. When do you get old enough that you're significant and you make a difference? I'd like to know if you have the answer to that question too. (laughs) Well, our boys are, we're from toddlers to teenagers at our house. So we're in every stage and I hope they all know they can be doing something for Jesus at their stage. This whole concept of kind of adolescence, extended adolescence, that's a relatively new concept. Historically, um, there wasn't this time when you were just adrift and nothing was expected of you. And we certainly don't see that in scripture. There's not like a, a age limit for the Great Commission. It's like you know, when you become a follower of Jesus, first you follow and then you're sent out. Um, and so I hope that we're encouraging our sons to take big swings for the Lord and yeah. build the kingdom, even uh, though they're you know still doing math homework. And um, I think we could serve our sons really well by raising the bar and expecting them to live out their faith no matter how old they are. And the truth that that replaces that lie, as you've stated in the book here, is you are who you are becoming. So the, right. the, choices, the choices that we make are significant regardless of how old we are, yeah? Right. Yeah, Absolutely. your son isn't going to just automatically get a missionary's heart at age 26. Um, that's going to be Foster's 
fostered in him from a young age. And like I said, Jesus doesn't put those qualifiers on him. So this, we have this idea that like, once they're through a school, then they can do something for the Lord. And it just doesn't line up with scripture. We want to encourage them to do things now. Now there's some fear in that as a parent, because that might mean uh, you're sending your teenager on a mission trip, or uh, they've got some, you know, maybe some resistance to face at school, but that's the Christian life, right? You know, when Jesus, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Well, I, I wanted to bring up Matthew 10, 7 is a, as you are going. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, sharing sharing the word, um, preaching about Jesus, teaching about Jesus isn't, um, for, for most people, is not a, a career a career goal, right. but it is something that all um, believers are called to do as we are going uh you know many of the disciples were fishermen um paul was wasn't he a tent maker and uh and they they went about their business and taught and 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 preached the gospel and so our boys can do that as they're going yeah when jesus called his his guys you know they were most of them were i think peter might have been 20 but i don't know but they were mostly in their teens and they were guys that the other rabbis looked overlooked and Jesus said, follow me. And what he was saying to them, these were teenagers. He was saying to them, I believe in you. I believe you can become everything that God has destined you to be. Mm -hmm. So the power of saying to our boys, I believe in you is we can't underestimate that. Absolutely. So true. Yeah. When I was little, I remember, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a boy clearly, but when I was little, <laughs> my parents did such a great job of instilling in me that God had a plan and a purpose for my life someday. And my little brain translated that to mean that there would come a moment like when the, this light would shine down from heaven and the angels would sing yeah. and I would have my moment. And, and as I, I longed to have significance in every single day, I found myself in my own parenting just ending the day with my kids and saying, you know, where did you see God today? What were, where were the places that God showed up? Because today matters. That's what I'm hearing in, you know, this portion of the book that, that you are who you're becoming. It's, it's not just a someday thing. It's that today matters and you matter today. Yeah. And to be on the lookout for how does God want to use you today, whether you're going to preschool, our oldest is a freshman. And that's been really fun to see that because his eyes are open, he has a lot of opportunities to share Jesus at his high school. And we haven't gotten everything right as a parent, for sure. But I think that we have done a good job of telling our kids that part of following Jesus is serving him right where you are, no matter how old you are. It's all loaves and fishes anyway, and uh, asking him to multiply it. Well, I hope this will encourage you and and just give you some insight. When I was eight, a wound of shame got planted in my heart. And that shame was pushed deeper into me through some pretty massive moral failures as a teenager. But I also experienced the love of Jesus. So coming out of my teenage years, I was believing two messages. The first was that God deeply loves me. And the second was that what I'd done wrong was who I really was, and there was no hope for me. Call it spiritual schizophrenia. Hmm. 
Have you ever heard that phrase before? No, I haven't. That's a new one for me. <laughs> Those two beliefs contradict each other, right? And they collided on Christmas of 1996, and the lie of shame was burying me on that day. Perry, what you've done wrong in your life is who you are and who you'll always be. There's no hope for you. As much as I knew God's word, and I did, my feelings were my core reality. I was relying on them to tell me that I belonged to God, relying on my emotions to tell me about my standing with God. And because shame had taken me into such a depression and I couldn't feel anything good, I thought, I must be cut off from God. What gave me hope was Teresa, my bride, saying, Perry, you're going to make it. And she was kind of freaking out too, but she held it together. And she said, your feelings are lying to you. Just trust the truth. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's a good word from your wife right there. And that was like a foreign language to me. Mm -hmm. I just, what? You mean it's not connected to how I feel? It just, right. it was not my reality. Right. I mean, just the whole idea that that your feelings aren't absolute truth. Yeah. It's like. And, and that was a, a wake up time in my life that I realized, oh, this is, this is the core way I look at the world mm-hmm. through my emotions. And I am a very emotional person and emotions are beautiful. I'm not knocking emotions, but I chose to trust the truth in the face of my feelings. By the grace of God, I chose to do that. And that began my long journey out. In the days and months and years ahead, with the help of the Spirit and people, God's Spirit through people, Mm -hmm. I began learning to teach my feelings to yield to God's truth. Oh, come on. That's a good sentence right there. Well, Teach my feelings to yield to God's truth. First a crawl. It was first a crawl. Maybe not quite, maybe, you know, pushing myself forward on my elbows, then a limp, and then a walk. This is why Romans 12, 2 is so beautiful to me. Do not conform to the pattern of this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. Don't be conformed to the world. What does our culture say? If you feel it, it's true. Mm -hmm. Go with that, you know. If you feel it, that's true. Don't you drink that (laughs) Kool-Aid. That's right. Don't you make me come over there. That's right. That's right, man. You know what? Here's the thing. That is so much a truth in culture that if you're feeling say it, it's true, that I've even seen Christians take Scripture and make adjustments to what the Word of God says based on what feels right. Mm Mm-hmm. That is, that's a scary place to be. Whenever there's a, um, there's not congruence between the word of God and me, I'm the one who has to change. Yeah. Not God's word. I got to shift. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of going with our feelings, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that's, I'm deciding, I'm making a decision to trust that God's word is true no matter what I feel. And this this has taken a lot of practice. I mean, decades of practice. And to keep on trusting God's word over my feelings, just lots of practice. 
And as we do this, our mind will be renewed and will be transformed by God. This is, I think, how we experience new creation. When we allow our minds to be renewed by God's word, we are transformed. That's not something that we do. There's this kind of partnership mm-hmm. here where we choose to let our minds be renewed by God's word, but God's word is is powerful. It's eternal. And it brings new creation into us. And I've Mm -hmm. experienced this in my life since I've started learning this. And I don't get it perfectly right because there's still times I do rely on my feelings. But now I have some tools. Yeah. I mean, because of the beautiful gift of free will, we can choose not to surrender to God. And then we also choose not to receive the renewal. You know what I mean? We're Whatever you're thinking, whatever your thoughts are and your ways are, are going to stay that way. But we can choose to surrender and and God in his goodness as we surrender, right? It makes me think of Romans 15, 13, you know, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Yeah. It's yeah. as we release our own thinking, our own feelings and say, I trust you, God, even though this feels really right to me and this feels really big and accurate, I'm going to surrender it to you then God can renew our minds. And I think where I was in 1996 was I didn't think, I didn't know I had a choice Mm -hmm. to choose the truth. I just thought my feelings were what they were going to be and that was where they were going to lead me. And I woke up to the reality, oh, I do have a choice. Yeah. And so now about feelings, don't reject your feelings. Don't deny your feelings. Don't stuff your feelings. Don't ignore your feelings because they're, there's a message behind our feelings that we do need to explore. And there's probably, you know, I'm talking about, you know, painful, painful emotions like shame is one of the greatest ones or grief. You know, don't stuff those because there's a message behind them. There's there's maybe a, a trauma. There's maybe a lie. There's maybe, you know, something that it's saying to you. There is something it's saying to you. And so explore that because we want to be more whole and more healed but just don't don't let your feelings lead. Submit your feelings to God. And so this passage, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's experience new creation through the truth of God's word. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I think, you know, my own kind of simplified definition is God is, or faith is just believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he's going to do, that he always keeps his promises. In Hebrews 10, 23, we're told, you know, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He's so faithful. Mm-hmm. Even when there's no evidence, God is faithful. That's it. My friend Heather was sharing with me an experience that she had. She was traveling and trying to get from point A to point B. And as flights can sometimes do, she had a connecting flight and the first flight was pushed back. So she missed the connecting flight. So she's on the phone with the airlines and she's trying to figure out <laughs> how to get to where she needs to get. You know, she'd made a commitment and she's trying to get there on time. And as she's talking with the airlines, you know, she's, she's stressed, she, it, 
not sure how this is all going to go down. And the person on the other end on the phone that worked for the airline said, you aren't going to hear anything, but just stay with me. Just because you don't hear me doesn't mean that I'm not here. I'll be right here working things out for you the whole time. Wow. That's, that's amazing customer service. Yeah. Right there. It is. And I was talking with my, with my daughter who has a friend who works for an airlines. And she said, usually when she's trying to resolve an issue for a, for a customer, the first 15 minutes is just trying to get them to trust you Mm. that you're actually going to do what you say you're going to do because things have fallen through so many times. Yeah. But man, this is so true about our relationship with the Lord that there are so many times when there is no physical evidence that God is working. And so we start to question, did, did I lose the call? <laughs> is hmm. he still there? Is, is he doing anything? Did he get distracted? You know what I mean? All the things that would fly through our minds if we were on hold and there's no hold music. There's no indication that somebody on the other end is working. I think we wrestle with that spiritually in our connection with God and in our relationship with God. Yeah, it seems like seems apparent that faith and patience go together, hmm. that you've got to keep on trusting. Yeah. Even when I don't feel it, you're working, you know. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Because God is trustworthy. We can be confident and sure that he will always be who he's always been. Not, You know, it's not like a, a wishful thinking kind of thing. Hebrews 11, 1 is saying faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's not like a fingers crossed kind of thing. And it's really relational faith is because it's all about trust. And the definition of trust is assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone. Mm. And I, I think that, you know, that word reliance, we kind of bristle against a little bit. Like we don't want to be reliant. I remember getting stuck in a ditch during a winter storm wide out and, and my husband driving by and thinking, oh, my goodness, that looks like my wife. Walking back to the car, I'm on the phone with AAA at the time. And sure. he's like, who are you talking to? I was like, I'm called AAA. And he's like, why didn't you call me? And it, the truth of the matter was I wanted to get myself out of the situation. I didn't want to be reliant on someone to rescue me. I was not big on being the damsel in distress. Yeah, yeah okay. I was like, I, I got this. Yep. But I, I think that we bristle against reliance and... As Christians, um, Jesse Bradley said this in an interview, I don't remember if it was last week, but recently, he said, we don't graduate from reliance. And I love that so much because this is an upside down kingdom. This, the, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. So in the world that we live in today, maturity equals independence. But in faith, in our relationship with God, maturity is actually greater reliance. And it's not greater like in the big moments. That's not what I mean. I don't mean bigger reliance. I mean, more often, the power of plotting. Drew Dick shared that with us. And I was just like, oh, I love that so much, the power of plotting. Because we don't, you know, we see, we honor the people of faith. So Hebrews 11 is this big list of people of faith, right? Like by by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Rahab. And it's just like, we're in awe of what they accomplished. But I tell you what, I'm in awe of Noah, not only because he built this ginormous boat, but because he just got up every day with a hammer and a board and a nail. And even though it wasn't raining, he just faithfully did 
what needed to be done for that day. That's the power of plotting right there. It is. That's awesome. That's faithfulness. Yeah. Faithfulness is success. Right. And Enoch walked with God. You know, he just he just got up and walked with God in the morning, spent time with him, walked through his day with the Lord. And, you know, he was honored for his faith as being one who who walked with God. Nothing flashy, just straight up old fashioned faithfulness. And then he'd get up the next day and he would do it again. And then he'd get up the next day and then he would do it again. And eventually that led to a lifetime of faithfulness, confident and sure of all of God's promises. And what Enoch had, you and I can have too. Faith is just believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he's going to do. May we be as faithful to him as he is to us. I don't know if you can relate with this, but I've always, I have this low-grade fear that God's going to kick me out of his family. And I think that that's because I'm looking at God through the eyes of, of human beings. Human beings are not trustworthy in the way that God is trustworthy. Yeah. I, I think I think every issue that we have with the Lord stems from a relationship that we have sure. outside of him, you know, with, with a human Right. That's hurt us or disappointed us or, you know, walked away or whatever, abandoned us. And we fear that God's going to do the same thing. Yeah. And it's usually low grade. Sometimes, a few times in my life, it's been rock concert loud that I've been kicked out of the family. But I think of Numbers twenty three nineteen. This has always been special to me. God is not a man that he should lie, mm-hmm. nor a son of man that he would change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Yeah, that's so good. Isn't that encouraging? He's other. He's not like us. He's not like me, praise God. And he's not like the people that have failed us. Right. And I'm so grateful for that. So I don't have to worry about those feelings. I can just trust in the faithfulness of God. Jude 24, to him who is able to keep you and me from falling... And to present you before his glorious throne without fault, without fault, and with great joy. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800 968 8930 and please subscribe.